Welcome to The Essential Rhythm, science-based natural history and human ecology of the North Atlantic seashore. This is episode 89, The Promise and Perils of eDNA. I started my career in biology as a naturalist, a person who pays close attention to the natural world, absorbing as much information as possible through observation. And then I became an educator, someone who tries to help others engage with and understand the living systems on the planet. But lately, I've been doing some science, too. Science that in many ways is way out of my comfort zone as someone who's happiest in the field, peering into tide pools or slipping around on mudflats. This science has landed me in the lab, having to pay close attention to directions, transferring minute amounts of invisible substances with no idea if what I'm doing is working until the end. I'm working with something called eDNA, short for environmental DNA. I'm sure you're familiar with regular DNA, that double helix-shaped molecule that codes the genetic information inside the cells of every living thing on the planet. Over the course of the 20th century, scientists learned more and more about DNA, not only its shape and how it codes for information, but how to replicate and now in the 21st century edit it. Environmental DNA is DNA that's free in the environment, not stuck inside the cell of a living organism. As organisms exist in the world, they constantly slough off cells and lose bodily fluids. All of that material contains their DNA, and it's spilled into the environment. We all leave a trail of our genetic material everywhere we go. The science of eDNA takes advantage of this, and along with the molecular biology tools developed in the late 20th century, allows us to ask questions about organisms without having to directly interact with them. This is probably best explained by way of an example. The eDNA I work with is from river herring, primarily alewives, the anadromous fish that make their way from the sea to freshwater ponds and lakes each spring to spawn. Instead of going out into a lake or estuary or stream and looking for alewives directly, you can collect a liter of water, filter it through a very fine filter, and then extract eDNA from the filter. If there are alewives in the body of water where you collected, their DNA should show up on the filter. It allows scientists to ask questions about where the fish are and when they show up, and is simpler and easier than searching a whole watershed for the fish. Or that's the idea anyway. It sounds simple, but the reality is more complicated. Once you've filtered the water, you have to extract the DNA off the filter, usually by both physical and chemical means. The filter gets agitated in a suspension of fine beads and a buffered solution that breaks up any intact cells, hopefully liberating any DNA molecules present. Then you take that solution and you pass it through a number of rinsing steps with various solutions, the goal of which is to get clean, pure DNA without any other biological molecules like fats or proteins. And keep in mind, you can't see any of this. The solutions just look like water, and you work with a milliliter or less at a time. After the cleanup, you have to amplify the DNA, make lots of copies of it. If you're looking for alewives and there's alewife DNA in the water you sampled, when you amplify it, you should end up with a concentrated solution of alewife DNA. If there wasn't any alewife DNA in the water you started with, there won't be anything to copy. The process is called PCR, polymerase chain reaction, and we all heard about it thanks to COVID. PCR tests do the same thing. If there's COVID genetic material in your sample, the PCR test copies it to a concentration where it's detectable. If there's none there to start, nothing gets amplified. After you do your PCR, the DNA is still invisible. 
to know whether or not you got anything, you quote, run a gel, which means adding some fluorescent dye to your sample, putting it in a specially designed plate of gelatinous substance, and then running an electrical current through it. The electricity creates a polar environment in the cell. There's a negative side and a positive side. And DNA is negatively charged, so when you turn the current on, it will migrate through the gel towards the positive side. You can then shine a UV light on the gel and the fluorescent dye, and the DNA will light up, finally enabling you to see the DNA if you have any. A positive result means you have the DNA you're looking for, and barring any contamination, it means the organism you are interested in was present somewhere in the vicinity of the water sample taken. A negative result, like in all science, doesn't necessarily mean the organism wasn't there. False negatives, like COVID tests or pregnancy tests, may just reflect the amount of starting material was being too low or procedural errors in sample processing. So a single negative doesn't mean much. That's why we do things in replicates and test the same thing over and over and over in science. One negative won't tell you yes or no, but with a thousand negatives, you can be a lot more confident that the answer is no. My recent results were both cool and kind of boring. I got positive hits where I was sure I would. I took water samples from a fishway that was loaded with fish. So if I hadn't gotten positive results there, I was doing something wrong. So the process worked. But I got negatives from almost all the other water samples collected from various spots in the watershed, at least some of which I know had fish. And that is the lesson. Science is iterative and volume matters. There's power in numbers and every time you do it, you learn how to do it a little better next time. I'll drop an image of the gel I ran in our Instagram so you can see for yourself. Search at The Essential Rhythm. This has been episode 89 of The Essential Rhythm, written and produced by me, Sarah O'Malley. The show is produced on Wabanaki land. Did you know you can find this show as a podcast? Go to weru.org to learn more. The theme music is Lightstream by the artist at Hartha, used by permission through Creative Commons. Thanks for listening and join us next week.